Good morning, Campbell River Baptist Church and Radiant Life. We're so excited that you can join us for another morning service. This week we are excited to have Pastor Dwight join us for the very first time. We're excited to just see what God does through him, through his time here at the church, and uh, just how he encourages us with each and every Sunday service that we have with him. Hi, my name is Erwin, and I'm going to be reading for us this morning a psalm of praise. This is Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild and the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim in the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Hey, CRBC. So we are the Schlesingers. I am Morgan, and um, we're doing okay here at our house for the, you know, most part. It's been a real hard time, but also a really amazing time to see the impact that um, the time at home has had on my kids and seeing how Davy and Taylor have been able to get along so well but also um, how really good they can fight too. Um, so it's really neat to see those relationships and, and to have those relationships that I wouldn't normally get to have with them at this time. So I thought I would just share with you guys a verse that's really been helping me. It's Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. What a time to say rejoice in the Lord. Um, I will say it again, rejoice and let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. That's directly to me. Um, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It blows my mind because even in this horrific, hard time where everybody is in that same storm, as they're all saying, but we're not all in the same boat, that we have a God who is still so present and so relevant and so there for us. And, um, and I have been on my knees so many times. The thing I think I'm most thankful for in this time is this has brought me closer to God than anything else before in my life. And those of you that know my life, um, know what I've been through, know what we've been through with Taylor, that's saying something very big. Because this time, it's not about hurrying and doing the next thing. It's about sitting. And it's about staying. It's about rest. So we're praying for you guys all. We miss all of you very, very much. And I hope that we will get to see you guys very, very soon. I have two announcements for you. The first one is about small groups. We've been talking about small groups for a little while now and we are so excited and we have a few spots available for anyone that would like to join. So if you would like to join a small group, let us know. You can email smallgroups at crbaptist.bc.ca. 
Our second announcement is about podcasts of our Sunday service. You may not know this, but we have podcasts on our website underneath where you would find the video. They're available all week long and they're available for all the previous Sunday services. So if you are on the go on a Sunday morning and you would like to listen to a podcast, make sure to check those out. Leora here to tell you two things today. The first thing is, is that we have our kids Bible stories on our website for you. Today we're going to be talking about God's peace and how it grows in us and what the opposite of that is. The other thing I want to tell you about has been kind of a little bit of a secret that I've been keeping from you. This summer we're going to be putting on an online kids program. We're going to be running it on every Tuesday night in July and also one Tuesday in June. We're really looking forward to this program that we're going to run. Stay tuned for some details, it's going to come out really soon. I look forward to being a part of that with you guys. It's going to be so fun. Hi, I'm Ryan, and this morning I'm going to invite you to join me in prayer. So, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you that we can meet together. Father, we thank you for how you have been providing in this time, Lord, that you provide for us spiritually, Lord. You provide for us physically, and Lord, the way that you have provided for us to be in community in all the different ways. And Father, I pray that you would bless the sermon this morning, Lord. You would open up our ears and our hearts to hear from you. And Father, that you would help us to draw closer to you in, in what we hear today, Lord, that our lives would reflect you more each day. And so Father, we just thank you and we pray, Lord, for Dwight. We ask that you would bless him as he shares your word this morning. Throughout the week, we would also like to ask you to join us in prayer for our Missionary of the Week and for our Church of the Week, our local church who is joining us in bringing God's Kingdom here in Campbell River. So you can find those on our website and in the newsletter. Good morning, Campbell River Baptist Church. A warm welcome to all those who are viewing this online. My name's Dwight Geiger, and the Lord willing, I'll be your interim pastor for the next few months. I've just finished my work at Camp Quanos, and my wife Sandra and I will be making our way to Campbell River hopefully this coming week. Amidst the disruption of COVID-19, we'll seek to connect with you the best that we can. I look forward to working with the board and the staff and navigating through the myriad issues that confront us with this pandemic. In light of the trouble that COVID-19 has caused in our lives, I'd like to draw your attention this morning to a promise in the Bible. It's God's message to us even today. Specifically, it's in the book of Jeremiah, and notably it's one verse in chapter 29. You can turn in your Bibles to that or online. Uh, you can get your, uh, your phones there, but uh, we're going we're gonna to look at Jeremiah 29. Humans have a desire to find meaning and purpose in even the most mundane uh, events of life, in all these random things that happen in our lives. I looked up the word random. Random means made, done, happening, or chosen without method or conscious decision. At different stages in our life, we have this insatiable desire to make sense out of life, to make sense out of the details of life. I don't want to be random. I want everything to make sense in my life. I want it all to fit together. I want to be able to stand back, look at my life, and see that everything fits. All the dots connect, and the grand picture emerges. Now, that's in all of us. It isn't just a Christian thing. It isn't a religious thing. It, we all want life to make sense. 
So we plan our lives, and we say things like, we met because we're supposed to meet. We got engaged. I got that cool promotion. We had the birth of a child. My kid graduated from school. I want to make sure everything fits in my story, in my life. We long for a comprehensive explanation of history and experience. It ensures that there's purpose to everything. It's part of human nature. In every culture and every language, there's actually terminology that we use that focus on this. We say things like, everything happens for a reason, or I don't believe in coincidence, uh, or you just haven't met the right person yet, or I guess it wasn't meant to be. Now, Christians connect these random dots, and we call it a God thing. However, when tragedy strikes, so we tend to ask the question, why? We want to find purpose in the pain. We want suffering to connect to something purposeful. We naturally assume that there is a purpose. I remember a young girl, she was six years old when she died of cancer, and her mom and their dad really wanted to find purpose. What was the purpose for Julia's death and her Julia's short life? Let me assure you, that the world isn't just random as we might be led to believe in our culture. There really is a story. Life is connected. There is a divine story. And from time to time, it's as if God drops directly into people's lives in unmistakable ways to remind, to reorient, to connect some of the dots, to give us our bearings. But for the most part, our days seem to be made up of random events. Pastor Andy Stanley in Atlanta, Georgia, said this, Perfect faith is to respond to the seemingly random events of life as if they're part of the perfect plan of God. Let me say it again. Perfect faith is to respond to the seemingly random events of life as if they're part of the perfect plan of God. God wants us to have faith in Him and His plans. God wants us to trust Him even when things look their worst. It's not a random world. It's a world in which God holds all things together. Now, an example of this struggle to make sense out of life is found in the book of Jeremiah. I want to give you a little bit of context to the verse we're going to look at this morning. The book covers a span of 42 years. The northern kingdom of Israel has already been defeated by the Assyrians over 100 years before. It is the end of the time of the kings of the southern kingdom of Judah. Now Babylon has come in. It's dominating all of the cultures in the Mediterranean coast. Jeremiah is called by God to be his spokesperson to the people. He warns of the coming defeat of the kingdom of Judah by the Babylonian armies. He spends 42 years telling the people of impending disaster with no hope of reprieve. He is called the weeping prophet because it seems no one listened to his message. God did not provide any opportunities to change the outcome. God was speaking to a nation that was going to be going into captivity. Their way of life was coming to an end and they were heading towards slavery. Enslavement was an integral part of God's overall plan for Israel. While it isn't always easy or pleasant to think about this, it was the truth. God was allowing the enemies of Israel to take them over and to enslave them. On the surface, these are dark times. But God allowed this to be part of his plan. 
Because it was part of his plan, God could speak through Jeremiah and encourage the people with the truth that he knew what his plans were, and they were unfolding perfectly. The first captivity that uh, the southern kingdom of Judah experienced was in 597 B.C. And according to standard conquering procedure of the day, what you do is that you go in and you take away the smartest, the best educated And you remove them to your own country to be re-educated. You want to make sure that this new people, this conquered people, aren't going to be involved in rebellion. So you absorb those youngest, smartest into your own culture. You use the artists, the administrators for your own cultural enhancements. So Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Ezekiel, these were all part of that relocation project. In Jeremiah 29... We see the exiles, as they were called, yearning to go home to Jerusalem. They had been in uh, Babylon for a while, and it was like, when are we going to go home? There were rumors of unrest in the empire. Rebellions were being whispered about. Prophets in Babylon were predicting the downfall of the government. We will be going home soon, was on everybody's lips. Now, the prophet Jeremiah sends a letter from Jerusalem to the survivors that King Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. The nation of Israel was divided. It was demoralized. They knew God had caused this disruption into their national life. Because of their disobedience and idolatry, because they had refused to observe the Sabbath rests every seven years, they were constantly looking for signs that the exile was over and they would be going home. The first half of Jeremiah chapter 29 is a letter from Jeremiah to the Israelites currently exiled in Babylon. We're going to read part of those just to give us context to verse, towards verse 11. So, as we start to read, verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Then in verse 7 it says, Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because it is prosper, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So we see Jeremiah here urging them to embrace the present as the arena in which God will work. Abandon those false hopes that they had placed in military rebellion. Stop trying to recreate what they already had lost. Instead, he says, seek the peace of the city. Pray for the city. Seek for the peace in the city, and that will be your peace. And it's very applicable to our world today as well. As believers, our citizenship is in heaven. And we live, in a sense, as exiles in the cities of this world. Jeremiah would say to us, seek the peace of the city where you live. Pray for your town. Pray for your neighborhood. Work for its peace. These people in Babylon were wondering, what do we do until the exile's over? And they were just waiting to go back home. Now, there were other prophets. There were other preachers in Babylon who were popular. They were telling the people, it's going to be soon. The exile's almost over. Just hang on a little bit, and God will destroy Babylon. We'll return to Jerusalem. 
Jeremiah tackles that in verse 8. He says, yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Verse 10, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. In other words, be prepared because you're going to be there for a while. In fact, verse 10 specifically says 70 years. They had had 490 years in Israel of not observing the Sabbath rests, the Sabbath years where every seven years you were to kind of stop production and just rest. And so now there was 70 years of rest for the land. I've found in this COVID-19 crisis that it's almost like there's a bit of a Sabbath rest. Just, just rest. Just stay home. Don't do things. Rest. And you go into towns and there's not that many cars on the road, not that many people around. Maybe God's just kind of saying, it's time for a bit of a rest. Whatever. The people in Babylon were saying, 70 years. That's a long time. That's almost two generations. Some of us are going to die in this foreign land. We won't see Jerusalem again. So now we move to this verse, verse 11, that I want to look at this morning. Let me read verse 10, and then we'll go into verse 11. This is what the Lord says, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And then verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. It's a very popular verse in the past 30 years. And as I look at this passage, as I look at this verse, it, I wondered, why have I not heard that before? I grew up in, a, in the Fellowship Baptist Church. I memorized lots of verses, but I never memorized this. It wasn't until the year about the year 2000, it really became popular, and I'm going, well, I haven't heard that verse before. Well, all the verses I learned in Sunday school were in the King James Version. So King James gives a very literal translation of this verse in Hebrew. Let me read it for you. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Well, it's not a particularly gripping verse, not like the NIV, the New International Version has it. What is an expected end? Where is your expected end? How does that work with this verse that we have? What I want to do is look at this verse in more detail, and we're going to kind of look at the Hebrew and what was meant, and kind of go from King James to NIV and kind of look at what this, I think it really applies to us today. If you go to the Hebrew... And uh, the King James Version actually had a literal translation. It says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. And well, that's kind of unusual. Makashabah is, is what it says in Hebrew. And Makashabah is to thought, the devised plan, purpose. The thoughts, I think, the Makashabah. It's like a little kid. Sometimes you can see the little kid. I can see my grandkids when they come down to camp and a little Wyatt, he's looking at me on one of the golf carts and he is thinking thoughts. And I know his thoughts and his plans are, I want to ride with Papa. So Makashabah is a Hebrew way of saying, I'm thinking about you. 
I'm making plans for you. I'm working out purposes for you. It's more than just thinking about the exiles. God is planning what will happen in their lives. I have a plan. I have a strategy. I have a purpose. I know the thoughts I think towards you, saith the Lord. If we go to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul reminds us of this type of thing that God does. In Ephesians 2, verse 10, from the New Living Translation, we read, For we are God's masterpiece. He's created us and you in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Verses 8 and 9 say we're saved by grace, not by works, but we are saved to do something. God had a plan. Makashabah, the thoughts he thinks about us, the plans he has for us. Poema in Greek sounds like poem and literally means tapestry or masterpiece. You are God's poema, God's masterpiece, his workmanship. And God has a strategy all laid out for each one of us with the good things that we can do for the kingdom and for the world. God's thoughts that he thinks about us. God's plans for us. What has God planned for me, for you, for us? Now that could be scary. Are these plans good? Are these plans bad? Are these plans difficult? Are these plans pleasant? For I know the thoughts I think towards you, saith the Lord, and we continue to read on it, says thoughts of peace. Thoughts of shalom. We ran Bethlehem Walk for 10 years in Souk, and I was the rabbi, and we greeted all our visitors and one another with shalom. Shalom, hello, shalom, goodbye. But shalom has a fuller meaning. There is a reason that the Jewish people use this word in a greeting. Shalom really means completeness, soundness, uh, welfare, peace, In today's world, when we say peace, we're thinking the opposite of war, absence of fighting. But shalom means much more than that. It is a sense of wholeness and completeness, even prosperity, a sense of contentment and harmony. It's really good for you. Shalom. I have thoughts of shalom for you. Now, in the NIV, it says, I have plans to prosper you. That gained great popularity for this verse. But prosperity is just not quite right. Neither is peace. I have plans for shalom. That is really the best translation of this verse. God was telling these exiles in Babylon, don't be discouraged. I am thinking about you. I haven't forgotten you. In fact, I have plans that will bring about a completeness in your life. It's going to be really good for you. And he says the same thing to us today. Like the Israelites, we don't need to worry about our situation because God is in control. He is looking out for our welfare. But it will be in his way and in his time. Remember, it took 70 years for this promise to come about for the Israelites, those in exile in Babylon. That meant that many of them died of old age before it really happened. They didn't shalom in the same way that their children and grandchildren did. It is God's plan, not our plans. I have plans for your welfare. The results of the exile to Babylon, those 70 years that they spent outside of Israel in a foreign country, 
really were beneficial to the kingdom of God and eventually to even us in our day and age today. The return of the Jewish people to Israel 70 years later resulted in the rebuilding of the city, rebuilding of the walls, rebuilding of the temple, rebuilding of the economy, bringing Israel back into uh, production again. But it changed in a number of ways. One was a move from agriculture to business. It provided employment and travel. They weren't stuck to the land. They could now move quite a bit throughout the empire. They were also dispersed to all quarters of the empire. It provided places years later for the apostle Paul and the other apostles to move through the empire, the known world at the time, and there was Jewish places, Jewish areas in all the major cities. The Jews abandoned the worship of graven images, of the idols. That was constantly a problem in the Old Testament. But after the exile, it never became that problem again. They laid great emphasis on tradition, on the law, on following one God, that there was no other gods. Through the efforts of Ezra, the scribe, and others, the Old Testament scriptures were preserved. The Hebrew writings were saved. They, even though the language of the people was changing, this change created the need for experts in the law. And you have the rise of the scribe, those who made sure that the, the scriptures were transcribed, that they were copied and copied and copied. They established what the scriptures were. That was very important as we come into the New Testament as Jesus is the fulfillment of those scriptures. You see the rise of the rabbi, the teacher, in every little location, who would then help people understand what are the scriptures saying. No longer was it the job of the Levites or the priests. There was now this rabbi, the teacher. The Jewish synagogue developed. It took on a whole new importance. So by the time of Jesus, you see Jesus meeting in synagogues in all different cities, not just the temple in Jerusalem. Now you have teaching in every town, every village, every place where there was at least 10 men, you would have a synagogue. There were volumes of commentary called the Talmud that were compiled during this, this period and later. The principal religious groups in Israel originated during this time. You have the scribes, you have Pharisees, you have Sadducees, and we read about all of these in the New Testament. It all developed out of that exile in Babylon. One of the most important is this refusal to integrate. And it's evidenced by the Jewish quarter or the ghetto and other efforts of people to band together for mutual support. The Jews, no matter where they were, in different places, they refused to integrate with the culture around them. They kept alive the Old Testament. Now, Jesus has issues to say about that later on, but it is a very important time, very important in keeping Judaism alive. God says that his thoughts toward his people are about shalom, not about evil. And the word evil is ra. It really means uh, bad, evil, calamity, unpleasantness, adversity. That's not what I have for you. I know if I had to discipline one of my children because they did something they weren't supposed to, they probably thought that I'm harming them. But in reality, punishing them when they break a rule is doing the exact opposite. It is helping them, guiding them. Sometimes bad things happen. 
Sometimes bad things happen to good people. And God's plan is not to harm you. It doesn't mean that we will never have bad things happen. It doesn't mean that we will never have a bad day. It just means that no matter what the world throws our way, we're safe in knowing that God is with us. So when you suffer, does it mean that God's thoughts are of evil instead of shalom? Well, this verse says no. But many times as we go through trials, we wonder what God's plans are. How is he connecting the dots? How is he putting all of this together so that it makes sense? How do we reconcile all of this? I want to tell you a story. The story is about two men in their 20s. They're about 24, 25 in that area. One's name was Dusty Miller. That was his nickname. His last name was Miller, first name Dusty Miller. And it was like the name of that silver gray plant that we plant in our gardens. He was a simple gardener from Newcastle-upon-Tyne in northeast England. Dusty was a follower of Jesus. The second person was Dinty Moore. Dinty was a nickname again, and he was uh, probably named after that beef stew that was made popular uh, in 1935 when it was used throughout the Second World War. I assume Dinty came from the U UK. Both young men were soldiers in the Allied armies in the Second World War. In 1942, they had been fighting in Asia and were captured and sent to a prisoner of war camp in Thailand. They, along with 65,000 Allied POWs and more than 300,000 Southeast Asian laborers were used as slaves, slaves to build the death railway from Thailand to Burma in order for the Japanese to advance on India. Dusty and Dinty were involved in building the Bridge on the River Kwai, which was a famous book and a famous movie around 1957. They endured inhumane conditions, oppressive heat, tropical diseases, stinging insects, inadequate food, clothing, shelter. Many died because of the brutal, brutal environment. Others were bayoneted or decapitated by the guards, pressuring the men to work faster. For every mile of track, 393 men died, and there was 250 miles of track that was laid. Like frightened, cornered animals, the men adopted an extreme survival mentality. Prisoner on prisoner crime skyrocketed. Men were motivated to live fueled by fear and hate. For I know the thoughts I think towards you, thoughts of peace, not of evil. Really? In this hell, peace, not evil? A first-hand account tells us that Dusty and Dinty lived out their faith in the death ward. That was a barracks in the, de in the uh, concentration camp specifically used for those POWs who were believed to be close to death. It had started out as the hospital but ended up being the morgue. Dusty and Dinty often found themselves helping soldiers as they died. There was a young company commander with the 2nd Battalion of Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders. His name was Captain Ernest Gordon. During his imprisonment, Gordon underwent torturous events, including malnutrition, malaria, diphtheria, typhoid, beriberi, jungle ulcers, and an operation to remove an appendix without pain relief. 
All of this led him to be sent to the death ward. Here he was treated by these two soldiers, Dusty Miller and Dinty Moore. These two gave Captain Ernest 24-hour care. They would boil rags and clean and massage Ernest's deceased legs every day. To everyone's great surprise, Ernest survived. Now, up to this point, Ernest had claimed to be an agnostic, basically saying maybe there's a God, but he doesn't concern himself with us. He wasn't a believer. He really didn't have anything to do with God. He was a soldier. But he could not help but be impressed by the faith that he saw at work in the lives of these two men. Ernest saw that this example of real Christian faith survived. It brought courage even when faced by the severe treatment of their captors. This encounter with a loving, sacrificial faith gave Ernest new hope and a new sense of purpose. It wasn't just Ernest who was touched by it. Other acts of great sacrifice began to shine through the darkness. There's a very famous story of this particular time and this particular camp. Once after a work detail, a guard believed a shovel had gone missing. He told the men, unless the culprit confessed, all the men would be killed. A soldier stepped forward and stood to attention. and He was beaten to death by the guard. It was later discovered that there was no missing shovel. Instead, there had been a mistaken inventory made by the guard. Well, the story quickly got around that someone had died so the whole detail could live. As Ernest gained strength, the amazing Scotsman started a university in the camp in order to add purpose and direction to the lives of the men. At first, the school was held in secret, but eventually the Japanese allowed it to be held in the open. Many sought out answers about how to prepare for death. They weren't making funeral arrangements. They were interested in the matters of eternal significance, spiritual things. And so Ernest Gordon, the agnostic, became the unofficial camp chaplain. A small church was erected and prayer was held nightly. Ernest Gordon later on, many years later, wrote a book called To End All Wars. And here is what he says. Death was still with us. No no doubt about that. But we were slowly being freed from its destructive grip. We were seeing for ourselves the sharp contrast between forces that made for life and those that made for death. Selfishness, hatred, envy, jealousy, greed, self-intelligence, laziness, and pride were anti-life. Love, heroism, self-sacrifice, sympathy, mercy, integrity, and creative faith were the essence of life, turning mere existence into living in the truest sense. These were gifts of God to men. True, there was hatred, but there was also love. There was death, but there was also life. God had not left us. He was with us, calling us to live the divine life in fellowship. Faith, Gordon said, thrives when there's no hope but God. In his jungle university, prisoners of different backgrounds taught classes. Artists made materials and mounted an exhibition of their work. Musicians crafted instruments and held recitals. Gardeners tended beds of medicinal plants. Prisoner-on-prisoner crime dropped dramatically. So complete was the transformation in some of the men that upon liberation they extended kindness 
and not revenge toward their former captors. Following the war, Captain Gordon studied at Hartford Theological Seminary in Connecticut and the University of Glasgow. He was ordained a minister of the Church of Scotland. In 1959, he was named Dean of the Chapel at Princeton University, a position he held until 1981. He was a frequent lecturer around the world and as an author. He eventually took up the post of the president of Creed, which is the Christian rescue effort for the emancipation of dissidents. In this role, Ernest helped several hundred dissidents get out of prison in Eastern Bloc countries. He spoke with thousands of second-generation Japanese university students. He began an ongoing reconciliation process between cultures. In the year 2000, Mr. Gordon returned to Thailand to observe the filming of his story from the book To End All Wars. There he met Mr. Tagashi Nagasi, a former officer in one of the Japanese camps, and they filmed a touching story of reconciliation and forgiveness. Pastor Ernest Gordon, influential preacher, international lecturer, author, a movie made about part of his life story, an amazing count of man's life and influence. But we want to ask the question, what about those two young men who lived out their faith in the horror of Southeast Africa, Asia? Dusty and Dinty. It was a surprising turn of events that allowed Ernest to survive the war. Upon liberation, Ernest sought news of his two friends from the camp. Dusty was one who did not lose faith and never met the cruel treatment he received with anger. Ernest found that two weeks before the war's end, Dusty had been crucified by a Japanese guard who was frustrated with Dusty's sense of calm in the face of hardship. And Dinty? Ernest cared for Dinty a lot. He admired him profoundly. Dinty died when the Allies sank his unmarked prisoner transport ship. For I know the thoughts I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of shalom, not of evil. Did they prosper? Were they unharmed? Not the way we think, but they were part of God's plan to reach a young captain who would eventually influence the whole world. God's thoughts for his people are about their shalom, their welfare, their wholeness, their peace and success. Evil, calamity, and adversity are not his purpose. In the passage that we read today, Jeremiah 29, verse 11, God wants his people in Babylon to have an expected end. It's an unusual choice of words. In Hebrew, it says, I want to give you akarith v'tikva. Akarith is the afterpart, the end, the future. Tikva is hope, expectation. You expect something to happen. You hope something will happen. It's an expected end. It's a hoped-for end, a hoped-for future. God is thinking about you. He has plans for you, plans for your shalom, plans to give you a future and a hope, or a future with hope. Originally, 
this prophecy was fulfilled in the book of Isaiah and uh, or in the book sorry <coughs> this was fulfilled in the book of Nehemiah and Ezra Jerusalem was repopulated just over 70 years later walls rebuilt temple restored however it means so much more than that a couple of chapters later in Jeremiah 31 it tells of the coming of the Messiah the Lord says he will make a new covenant with the people of Israel he will write it on our hearts there will be forgiveness Jeremiah 29.11 is intended to give hope, but not in the way many people think. It doesn't say anything about avoiding bad days or increasing your personal wealth. It's not about our own personal fulfillment. It's about our spiritual fulfillment. The hope that God speaks about through Jeremiah is about the sovereignty of God. God is in control. God has plans. God has purpose. God is working things out. We can trust him. We can be part of his plans right here, right now. Never doubt that God is at work. God has plans that cannot be defeated by anything. In God's realm, his kingdom will emerge. We are called to be part of it. Called to be part of those we can trust. With how we live. With what we care about. With all that we do. Nothing can stop God's purposes. It's all about the power of hope and the power and promises of God. So what is your expected end? What is your future and hope? As you think about this, remember, God uses everything in your life to bring about his purposes. He is the potter. You are the clay. He is continuing to shape you, to form you into his masterpiece to serve his purposes. Romans 8.28 is a great verse. One of those I remembered as, uh, as a youngster in Sunday school. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Does all things include the good things? Does all things include the bad things? Does all things include the things that you're so thankful had happened? But does it also include the things that you wish had never happened? For everybody, well, it says, to those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. If you're in Christ Jesus, you are the masterpiece created for the master's purpose. We realize that he is the potter. You are the clay. He's using all things to bring about good shalom to those who love him. And it's a tremendous confidence to step into his will and know that he is the sovereign good God. And going through a time of struggle, you might be saying, I wish this wasn't happening. It is painful, yes. I don't understand, yes. I wish it was different, yes. But understand this. If you are in Christ, if you love him, if you're living for his purpose, he works in all things to bring about good. That's how good our God is. As you contemplate your expected end that God plans for you, your future and hope, Number one, remember, God uses everything in your life to bring about his purposes. And number two, you have everything you need to do everything God wants you to do. In 2 Peter 1.3, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. You have everything you need to do everything God wants you to do. 
Not under our own power, but it's God's divine power. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. God never calls someone and says, hey, you're my masterpiece. Go do this. And then he goes, ooh, what was I thinking? Remember Moses? God called Moses to deliver the people of Israel. Now, Moses didn't believe that he was good enough to do it. And God didn't say, oops, sorry, I'll get somebody else. God says, no, you have everything you need to do everything I need you to do. When God calls you, he gives you what you need. The problem is that many people have masterpiece envy. Well, I'm not like you. I don't have this. I wish I had. We look at other people and we don't realize how God has created us. I wish I could do that. We don't realize what we can do. I can't do this. We don't understand we can do this because God has given you everything you need to do everything that he wants you to do. When I stop looking at what I cannot do, I can see what I can do. I am the masterpiece of God created for the master's purpose. God thinks of me and he thinks of you. He has plans for our shalom and not for evil, plans to give us a future and a hope. Amen? Well, leave a comment, say amen in the uh, comment section, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Amen. Well, we just want to uh, thank you, Dwight, for that great message, and uh, we just, we're just so glad that you and Sandra are here with us and you've uh, agreed to come and serve at CRBC. So we're really excited to see where it goes from here and, um, and we're just thankful again for you sharing this morning. And uh, just, I wanted to leave you with this, uh, I don't know if any of you have seen on going around on the internet, there's a, a song going around and it's usually done in a compilation of uh, churches from across, uh, the one I've seen is from across our country and uh, singing from Numbers uh, chapter 6, uh, verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Have a great week, everyone.